Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. When I was asked a few weeks ago to come up with something for tonight, I had to start thinking, what would be a good topic? And everybody's expecting probably like a holiday talk because we're getting closer and closer. So I was like, what's, what's a good topic? And I thought, you know what? Let's talk just about love tonight, right? Love. Love's a good topic. It's the time of year for love. Peace, joy, and love, right? We love each other. We love our families. We love our neighbors most of all. We love God and we love Jesus. So great job picking a topic, right, Ryan? Tonight's topic is not about that. <laughs> tonight's topic is about loving your enemies. So the first thing on our mind is probably like, enemies, yeah, we love them all the time, right? We always want to do good things for them. In fact, I was out Christmas shopping all day for presents for my enemies yesterday, right? No, that's not how we usually see things. You know, we don't want to take the time for our enemies like we do for our families and the people that love us. But the, the scripture gives us the command to love our enemies. Let's look in Matthew, the fifth chapter and verse 44. But I tell you, love your enemies... And pray for those who persecute you. And just like that, God holds up a big mirror to all of our faces and says, are you doing this? But I don't want to love my enemies. They're, they're my enemies for a reason. Can you still remember the reason? <laughs> There's probably some of us in here that have enemies that can't do that. So when I was trying to think of a lesson, I, I didn't just pop this one out of thin air. This one actually came to me. When I was reading a very erudite, great piece of literature, it's right here. I brought it for you guys to see. It's called The Pesky Rabbits. <laughs> All right, spoilers for you guys if this is your next book club selection, because I'm going to tell you the ending. But actually, I popped in for my kindergarten teacher because she needed to be out for a while. And so I asked the kids what they wanted to do, and they grabbed this book to read. So I read the book. And as I'm reading through it, this is a story of a bear that's very happy by himself. And don't worry, I'm not going to read it tonight. Quick synopsis. <laughs> There's a bear that's living by himself that's very, very happy being alone. And then some neighbors move in. Rabbits. <laughs> and within just a few seconds, he gets a knock on the door. And there's a rabbit that's asking him, hey, do you have any honey that we can borrow so we can bake a cake? And the bear's mad that he got disturbed. And you can see on the wall, there's tons of bottles of honey. And he says, no, I don't have any honey. He slams the door. And there's the day later, the Rabbits come back and knock on the door and they say, hey, do you got any firewood? Because we need some firewood. And there's one rabbit like holding a huge axe. He's about to fall. He said, can you help us? And the bear says, no, I don't have any firewood and I can't help you. Get out of here. Well, then there's a knock the next day and the, the rabbits say, hey, bear, do you want to share books so that we can read books together? And the bear says, no, I don't have any books to share. Get out of here. And so I started reading this book and I'm like, this bear is kind of a punk. <laughs> so I asked the kids. I said, uh, what do you think the rabbit should do? And the kids, with their genuine, innocent, honest heart, said, they should do something nice for the bear. What? <laughs> now, if we had a neighbor like that that was yelling at us all the time and hate us, we probably wouldn't talk to them or we would be in the process of putting a restraining order against them. But we didn't. <laughs> These rabbits persisted. Now, here comes the spoiler alert in the story. The bear gets another knock on his door. And when he opens it up, there's a box. Inside of the box is a cake, some chopped firewood, and a couple of books. And a simple note that said, Mr. Bear, since you didn't have any honey, we baked a cake for you. Since you didn't have any firewood, 
we hope that this one, this wood that we chopped will help you. And since you don't have any books, you can borrow one of ours. And of course, the bear's heart melts. What did I do? And by the end of the story, the bear and the rabbit become friends and it's very kindergarten and it's something that we want to teach the kids as a good thing to do. But when I read that, I was like, wow, there's that mirror in my face from God. Is this what I do to my enemies? Is this how I treat them? I want to read that whole scripture from Matthew 5, verse 43. I'll put this down for a second, but we're going to look at a picture in just a minute from there. Matthew 5, verse 43, it says, Have you heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of the Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteousness and the unrighteousness. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What good is it to only love those that love you? Boy, that's something that's really put in our face by the scripture here. Where is the challenge? Where is the sacrifice when it's just easy? Now, I can say I love my family. I love my friends. You know, the people around me that I care about. I could tell them a hundred thousand times. There's, there's hugs and that warm, fuzzy feeling. There's no challenge in that. That's what we're supposed to do. But to say I truly love my enemy is a challenge beyond a lot of our comprehension. So what I wanted to do is give you five good reasons to love your enemy tonight. <laughs> five reasons that you can take with you and maybe have a different view, a different look on those that hate you. So we're going to start off with number one right here. The reason why we should love our enemies is because we love a good redemption story. Now, this might be a selfish one on our part, but we do love seeing bad guys turn good. If you don't believe me, let me throw out some character names for you. Ebenezer Scrooge, The Grinch, The Terminator, Professor Snape, Magneto, Loki, Kylo Ren, Godzilla, and my brother from another galactic mother, Darth Vader himself. Now, I get right back, one of my earliest memories is 1983, sitting in the movie theaters with my parents, not knowing what was about to happen in the movie. And we see the dark Lord of the Sith when he's seeing his child hurt have a change of heart. And he becomes the hero. Spoiler for those of you who haven't seen it. And if you haven't seen it, you have a new enemy to pray for. No, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> sorry guys. So, in this moment, Darth Vader realizes this is, this is my son. I can't keep betraying him. So he makes a choice to do the right thing. And the movie ends with a very sweet scene between him and his son as he says goodbye. And, ah, oh, man, I remember as a kid, Darth Vader's a good guy now. And it meant so much to me. We love seeing that. And the movie characters that I just mentioned are from the highest grossing movies of all time. So simply put, what that means is we are willing to put over our hard-earned dollars to see other people turn good. But we're often not willing to spend our own time in prayer to see our enemies turn good. 
Redemption is such a powerful thing. It's what Jesus is trying to give all of us. We all, we all have the opportunity to turn from the bad guy into somebody who loves and serves the Lord. But do we really wish that for our enemies? There is no greater redemption story in the Bible outside of the actual death of Jesus for us than what happened to the Apostle Paul. Now, when he was Saul, he was a pretty bad guy. In fact, the scripture said he was so evil, he was breathing threats of murder against Christians, actually stood by while Christian people were killed and watched. Now, we call that nowadays accomplice to murder. That's what he was. He hated Christians. Now, for those of us who know the story, on the road, a bright light shines in his eyes, blinding him, and he is forced to see himself as who he is. And he becomes one of our greatest examples of redemption. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be even called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to more, towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it wasn't me, it wasn't I, but it was the grace of God that was in me. Paul carried that with him for the rest of his life, that he had made those choices. But you can see by the scripture, he used it to motivate him to become a better person. He used it to motivate him to become one of the greatest professors of the Lord Jesus Christ. What if Paul had never received his redemption? What if Paul never got the opportunity to look at himself and say, I'm doing things the wrong way. Could you imagine the churches of the New Testament, how they would have been without Paul's letters to them, without his visits, without his example? It would be a completely different atmosphere for us as Christians. But because one man was, be, was able to see what he was doing wrong, he found redemption and becomes one of our greatest examples to this day. Our grace towards our enemies is not in vain. Every moment we spend forgiving, praying, asking for God's grace on their behalf, it's worth it. And it provides new opportunities for redemption. Redemption is worth it. But I don't want to see my enemy do the right thing. I want to stay with my enemy. I'm in a comfortable spot not liking them, not hating them. But here's the thing. Once that redemption comes, some of those very enemies will become your closest allies. They'll be the ones standing up and saying, this person brought me Christ. I will love them forever. This person gave me a chance to cleanse my soul of the evilness in it. They saved my life. I'm dedicated to them. I owe them. It's worth the redemption. Let's go ahead and, and we'll look at our second one here. Why should we love our enemies? Because there is a story behind their actions. So there's a, a very well-known psychologist. If you've ever taken any psychology courses in school, you're going to know who this is. But his name is B.F. Skinner. If you ever heard of a Skinner box, it was a box that he made where he put a pigeon inside of it. And if the pigeon hit a particular button or a light, it would get a treat. 
And so what the pigeon would do every time after that was just go straight to the button to get the treat. So then he learned, you know what, we are influenced by our environment around us. And most modern psychologists to some point will say, yes, there, there is a lot of truth in this. But he let us know that our environment plays a bigger role in our behavior than we think. There's some people that have made this statement that I've heard, well, they were just born bad. It's not true. Things usually happen to a person throughout their life to make them act a certain way, to make them do a certain thing. Either too much of something or a lack of something or maybe just never giving the opportunity to come to God. But when we see positive reinforcement with people, they start to act more positively. It's a proven fact. There's empirical evidence that the more positive things in a person's life, oftentimes the more positive they are. And the more negative missing things in their life, oftentimes the more negative they are. So think about your enemy for a second. Do you really know them? Do you really know where they're coming from? That's a hard thing to do when that guy cuts you off <laughs> and yells at you and screams at you and does all these other things. And you think, hmm, where is he coming from? No, you just, your first action is to yell back. That's what you want to do. What about that boss at work that just yelled at you for something and you're like, what is going on with their day? And they make you feel terrible. Maybe they're going through some severe anxiety or depression at the moment. And that lady that cut you off in tra traffic without looking, maybe she's wondering if her marriage is going to survive the day. And that neighbor that blocked your driveway that made things so inconvenient so you couldn't leave for work, maybe they just found out they had cancer. Or maybe that church member that you catch passing around that gossip about you has just heard three or four things about herself being passed around and she's just trying to deflect the embarrassment. Now, does that make it right? Absolutely not. I will never say that. It's not right. But for just a moment, can you understand where those people may be coming from? Because if you have a heart and you're human, you're probably there yourself at one point. Something terrible has happened in your life and you lash out. You do something wrong. You do something mean. You do something evil to somebody. When really it was just a bad day because you got some bad news in your life. There's more to an enemy than just a person trying to be mean. And the scripture tells us in Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That takes us stopping and thinking for a moment about why we have an enemy. Consider where your enemy is coming from. Pray that God affects them and the world around them in such a positive way that it can change their life for the better. <clears throat> you become that positive reinforcement that they may not have in their life. You become that one voice that may wake them wake up the next day and say, hey, someone cares about me. You might be the person that wipes a little bit of that bitterness away until you can finally scratch the surface of that person underneath who is really there to love. Now that same psychologist that I mentioned to you, B.F. Skinner, he has a great quote here. It's, what is love except another name for the use of positive reinforcement or vice versa? We can love. We can love. 
but it's hard when the person in front of us seems so ugly to us. What they've done seems so ugly to us that we have to search our soul for any reason possible to love them. But when we do make that conscious choice, we stand before them as a positive influence in their life, and that's worth everything. We're going to move to uh, number three here. Because we may be someone else's enemy. Now, I want to show you a picture from this book here. And I want you to take a look at it and, and let me know if this is uh, you or not. Sorry, I had it here bookmarked. So here's a picture of the bear and the rabbits. <laughs> Which side of the page are you on? Now you can see there is a massive, angry, hungry bear here in this picture, snarling his teeth as mad as can be. And here are these poor innocent rabbits just trying to do the right thing. Now most of us right away would say, oh, we're page one. For sure, we're the rabbits, they're the bears. But stop for a second and think, which page am I on? We often have the tendency to just think we're on the right side of things in a dispute because their choice is wrong. Our enemies are enemies because we see, the, see things the right way and they don't. There was a, an, an old English bishop, his name is J.C. Riley, and lived at the turn of the 19th century. And he said, beware of self-righteousness in every shape and form. Some people get as much harm from their virtues as others do from their sins. We are right. Now that's not saying that there are times when you have a dispute with an enemy where you aren't right. You absolutely could be. If someone harms somebody in your family or does something intentionally to hurt you, you know that. But are you searching your heart for everybody? This is something that I had to struggle with when I was writing this lesson. Everybody that I would say is a quote-unquote enemy, somebody that I may not like in my life, somebody that may have done something to hurt my family, am I searching my heart for my place in this? Do we ever stop to consider maybe we're the ones that need the praying? Maybe right now somewhere our enemy is praying for us and saying, please, Lord, change their heart. Give them a chance at redemption. We make a righteous judgment in our disputes and instantly judge those that oppose us as wrong and condemn them. But the scripture says in Luke, the sixth chapter, verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. And do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you'll be pardoned. That is something very, very hard to do. But God is saying, when you do these things, you are part of my family. And I will pass on that very same gift to you. You will get those second chances. You will get that forgiveness. You'll be pardoned from your transgressions. Approach every disagreement with our enemies with, and if you take one word sentence away, one thing away from tonight, it's this one right here. Examine your disagreements with your enemies with righteous examination. Righteous examination. Not sitting down and looking at it and saying, well, I had this and he took this and he did this. Righteous examination is how am I affecting God by my part in this dispute? 
How am I affecting my spiritual life and welfare with how I'm acting? And if you can do that and really put your heart and soul into that and answer, I'm doing everything I can to serve God in this, then you can rest assured that you're doing your part and start praying for your enemy. But then that time also may come where you start to examine yourself and say, you know what? I didn't do anything wrong. I was just walking down the street and this guy did this to me. Or this so-and-so over here, I, I've, I've really never done anything wrong. I haven't even said a couple of words to them and I've been really nice and I've smiled every day and, and I've done all this, but they just hate me. I'm going to read you a quote here. Now, I'm aware of the fact that some people will not like you. Not because of something you have done to them, but they just won't like you. I'm quite aware of that. Some people aren't going to like you the way you walk, or some people aren't going to like the way you talk. Some people aren't going to like you because you can do your job better than they can do theirs. Some people aren't going to like you because other people like you, and because you're popular, and because you're well-liked. They aren't going to like you. Some people aren't going to like you because your hair's a little shorter than theirs, or your hair's a little longer than theirs. Some people aren't going to like you because your skin is a little brighter than theirs. And others aren't going to like you because your skin is a little darker than theirs. So that some people aren't going to like you. They're going to dislike you. Not because of something that you've done to them, but because of various jealous reactions and other reactions that are so prevalent in human nature. That was by Dr. Martin Luther King. That was preached to an all-black church in 1957. When there was a whole lot of hatred from enemies. But man, does this still ring true today. Some of us in here are going to feel hate just because. We're going to have enemies just because. Nothing that we did, nothing that we said, just because who we are. When I was a teenager in high school, and I've spoken about this briefly in, in some of our, our group time in there, but when I was a teenager in high school, I was heavily bullied my first two years of high school. Actually, eighth grade into high school, because luckily that friend transferred to the same high school as I did. And it was hard. And he was by far, hands down, my worst enemy. He made my life miserable. He did things to me that were terrible. And I would sit at home thinking, what did I do to him? I didn't do anything. My parents, thankfully, raised me to be a pretty polite kid. And I was raised in the church, so I had morals and ethics that thankfully my parents instilled in me and I didn't use curse words and that was something that he found out so I'll never forget the day I was sitting in the back of my freshman class and our teacher was at the board now this is back in the day where the teachers left the classroom all the time they don't quite do that as much now but the teacher was writing on the board and he walked around and my enemy turned around to me and he said hey say a curse word I said, no, I'm not going to say a curse word. And I said, he said, say, say a curse word. No, I'm not going to say a curse word. Within 10 seconds of that, one of his friends had me in a headlock down on my desk saying, say a curse word before I go. And I'm saying curse word because he was obviously using the words he wanted me to say at that time. And I remember with all my heart, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And the harder he squeezed... And thankfully, the teacher walked in, my, my knight in shining armor, and he looked and said, hey, guys, cut that off. And that was it. And he let me go, and I sat down. And I remember that night going home and saying, I'm never going back to school again. That's it. Now, thankfully, I did. 
and in a couple years he was suspended from school and went on to have a criminal life and is right now in the system. And I looked him up again a couple of days ago knowing that I was going to preach this to see if there was a way I can communicate because I just wanted to say, hey, do you remember me from school? But it is very hard in the Department of Justice right now <laughs> to get messages back and forth to each other. I'm not going to give up. I know where he's at. I'm going to pray for my enemy and see where he's at in his life. But he hated me for no reason. I was just an easy target. So we have to understand sometimes that it's not as personal as we want it to be. If it wasn't me, it would have been somebody else because of the things going on in his life. But it helps me to understand all of us need redemption, even the ones who hate for no reason. Number four. And I really want us to think about this statement. Because God brings righteous judgment. Romans 12, verse 17, it says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Think of that last statement right there. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Yes! Vengeance is his. God is going to tear that person apart. God is going to bring down the righteous wrath on him. I'm going to stand back and let the fire drip down from heaven and destroy them because I was on the right side of this and God's got my back. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. <coughs> Beloved, I have to tell you, reading through the scripture, and I'm sure you can get it yourself, it is not a wonderful thing. It is something to be feared. God does not like when people stand in the way of righteous men and women, and he will bring a vengeance upon them, a wrath upon them. There's a, a scripture that always kind of puzzled me in the Bible. It's our next one you have probably on your notes there. It's, it, it was one I read as a kid, and I was like, what? But then as I got older and had grown up and talked to people about it, I, I understand exactly what it's saying. Um, Elisha was on his way to Bethel. After Elijah, Elisha came in. And man, he had some big shoes to fill. So he's up on his way to Bethel. And um, starting here in 2 Kings, the second chapter, verse 23. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. And as he was walking up the path, some small boys came out of the city and harassed him. Chanting, get out of here, Baldy. Go up, Baldy. And he turned around and looked at them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And then two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the children. So think about that for a second. Now, as a kid, I was like, man, God sent these bears on these kids. All they were doing was saying, Baldy, I've said way worse than that. Looking around for the bear to come. But then I realized as I got older, that's not what's happening here. Now, historians say that the youths mentioned on here weren't a bunch of four- and five-year-olds. These were teenage boys that were roaming around in packs, and they were going to harass Elisha. And what I realize is God is not saying here, don't make fun of people. And by the way, if you're bald, it's just because it's your scalp making way for your giant brain. All right, just keep that in mind. All right. 
But it's not about making fun of all people here. What they were doing is they were standing in the way of a righteous man trying to serve his God. And God wasn't going to have any of that. Not only did he send bears, he sent female bears. And there is a definite, definite reason to the term mama bear. How on earth do two bears have enough time and agility to maul 42 kids? You'd think some of them would have ran away. But this is God's wrath in action here. Sending a message to the people of Bethel, don't stand in the way of my servant. That is something to be feared. Something that we should not wish upon our enemies. Those that persecute us are in a dangerous position of feeling that wrath and spending an eternity without God and an eternity with Satan. This is not something that we should wish for for our enemies, but we should pray for them. If we could get a glimpse at our enemies in the throes of Satan and hell, eventually we would beg for mercy on their behalf. Yeah, yeah, get them. They, they, they did the worst things possible. Get them. But after a day or two or three or even four, you'd be like, enough is enough. Mercy. Mercy on them. Praying for our enemies to find that redemption is saving them from this. Just as God wished to save us. So never, never wish for the wrath of God, but pray for the mercy that they come to the realization that God is there to love them. Romans 12.20 To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. About a year ago, I got to go to prison. I didn't go to prison. I visited somebody in prison. So it's a big shock, a record scratch right there. My stepdaughter's father is in prison. And I, and I, I only speak of this because he... of what you'll hear in just a minute, he would approve of me passing this along. I didn't know him very well. And I made a judgment really quick about some bad things that he had done to his family and other people. And I'll be honest, didn't really want to give him much of a chance a couple of years ago. But he probably more than me made an effort on that end. And we started talking to each other and started realizing that this guy's sorry for what he did. And he's serving his time admirably and saying, I've changed my life. I'm not going to do this again. Now, he's in there for a nonviolent crime, but there were others with him that were there for very violent crimes. And last year, he invited us to come down for a, a Christmas concert. He plays uh, um, guitar in the worship band now for them and is actually being a mentor and, and serving in church duties there as well, giving his life to God. So he said, come on down for Christmas, you know, come to see. And, and I, I have never been to a prison before, let alone this particular one. So when I walked in, there's the big clanging door that came in and, and I had gotten already in my head, man, I'm gonna walk in and people are gonna be looking at me like, so man, what are you doing over here? And like the whole Hollywood thing, it was Hollywood. And so I went into this prison and the door clanged and another door opens as you walk through. It was a room full of families with these men playing card games, laughing, joking. And he came over right away and, and we gave each other a hug and 
he talked to us and and he said hey i want you to meet some of these friends and brought over like what a, on the surface was the nicest group of guys i've ever met hey how you doing thanks for coming we know it's a long drive thanks for coming to see us we're gonna play some music for you guys i hope you really like it after they were done he his name is scott he was sitting at the table with us and, and we started asking him questions like about his friends and the nicest of the group the sweetest guy there we asked what's he in for curiosity and he said he killed a guy right away mm, that's where he needs he needs to be right here right here he's in the right spot and right away i'm starting to think that but then i started to hear the story when he was 20 something coming back from war in iraq he went to a bar and a guy picked a fight the guy pulled a knife he pulled a knife the guy died he went to prison and is in prison for the rest of his life. And now nearing 50, 60 years old, late 50s, early 60s, still in prison, this man has enough joy and happiness in his life to say, thanks for coming to see me. Thanks for visiting. We are so easy to crucify our enemies without knowing the story. We're so quick to judge this man will spend the rest of his life in prison, but has given his heart to God. So those chains and those bars and those shackles will be free when he gets to see his father one day. Is that not something worth praying for? Is not that something worth praying for for our enemies? Justice must be served, but we can't wish pain upon others, but instead pray for mercy in their judgment just as we must pray for mercy in ours. So, Ryan, you're telling me that if somebody hurts your family or hurts your spouse or, or does something terrible for you, just welcome on home and say, come on in, we're going to make you dinner, we forgive you, we love you. I'm not saying that. As an educator and a mandated reporter in the state of Arizona, I would say that's bordering even possibly on child endangerment. <laughs> I'm saying love. What does that look like to love our enemies? One, forgiveness. Two, praying for redemption. Three, praying for mercy that they don't suffer the wrath of God. And four, introducing the word of God to them. That is how you love your enemy. Right there. And number five in your notes. The fifth and final reason to love your enemy and I'm sure there's a whole lot more. Because it's not all about you. That's a big one I struggle with right there. It's not all about me and what I want for this. It's not all about me because I want vengeance. Or because I want them to suffer. Or because I want them to get what they got for what they did to me. <coughs> when we love our enemies, we give them opportunities for redemption. When we try to understand their story, we start to see them less as an enemy and more as a human. When we realize our responsibility in the dispute, we gather greater understanding of our responsibilities and forgiveness. And when we pray for mercy of our enemies, God shows us mercy. And when we do all these things, we lift up another human being to God to work in his kingdom, to serve as his witness, and to become possible ally in our walk with God. Loving our enemy is about serving our God. And it's all for God no matter what. It's not about us. 
So why should we love our enemies? Because when Jesus hung there upon our cross, upon my cross, and we were railing against him, shouting things at him, humiliating him, you say, well, Ryan, I wasn't there. Yeah, every time you sinned, you were there. Because it was done as a sacrifice for all. While we were doing that to him, what was Jesus' response to us? Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. When we were Jesus' enemies, the only thing he ever did to us was show us love. That was it. He could have called down his righteous wrath right there upon them. 10,000 angels destroyed them all. Righteous vengeance, right? But our greatest example is Jesus. That's not what he did. He said, I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them so much that even though they're shouting for my death right now, I'm going to die so that they can live. That is our greatest example of why we pray for our enemies. I want to leave you just with scripture tonight, and we'll say a quick prayer. In Romans, the 12th chapter, we're going to read through this again. We pulled little excerpts out of this, but please listen to Paul in this. Romans, the 12th chapter, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who weep and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on your head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Love. Love. Love your enemy. Your challenge this week is the same one I give myself. Think about somebody you call an enemy. And examine them through your heart with that righteous examination. Reach out to them. If it's not in person, then it is through prayer. And pray on their behalf. I'm going to say just a quick prayer for that, if you would. Dear Lord in heaven, how many times have you met us as enemies with love? How many times have we chosen to serve against you, only to see you with your arms wide open to love us again? Lord, let us love our enemies in that way. Lord, let us be bold and brave as we approach them. Let us know through our actions and our words that we care about their life with you let us forgive and let us more importantly be examples to our children and those around us of what it's like to love like god please be with us and that will be done in christ's name we pray amen